Okay, good morning, gentlemen. Boker Tov. Let's do the parsha of Ayechi, the last parsha in the book of Bereshis. So the parsha begins by telling us that Yaakov lived in the land of Egypt for 17 years. And then it tells us the total number of the entire life of Yaakov was 147 years, which is the age of Yaakov when he passes away. It's very interesting. The Torah first tells us how long he lived in Egypt for. You don't find by other, you know, by Sarah, for example, she lived in Hebron this long and then she died. In total. The Torah wants to bring out that the 17 years from when Yaakov met Pharaoh, Pharaoh asked him, how old are you? From memory, he said, 130 years old. From when he was 130 until he passed away to 147, those 17 years of his life were the best years of his life. Why were they the best years of his life? Yes, and Joseph... He had all of his sons together, had all of his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren. He saw them following in his path. They all lived together in peace and in harmony because even before Yosef had been stolen, kidnapped, there was no peace and harmony in the home. A lot of rivalry and between the siblings, between the spouses. Now he had with the nachas of having seen the family he built. The nachas that you have is the greatest pleasure of life. Yes. Is there anything uh, about uh, 17, like one year short of the height? It's not when you show high. 17 is actually with the gematria of tov. The numerical value for the Hebrew word good, which is tov, test is nine, above is six, and base is two, which equals 17. So and actually the best 17 years is tov, the numerical value of good is 17. 17 is a good number. So um, anyway, he lives the 17 best years of his life, getting nachas, it comes time for him, and he knows that he's soon going to pass away. Side note, but it's not a side note, actually. Yaakov was the first person to get sick before he died. It used to be, it's a very interesting tidbit of information. We know when someone sneezes, what do we say? God bless you, gesundheit, labriyut, which all are different languages saying the same thing, which is health. Gesund is health. Labriyut, God bless you, same thing. Salud. Why do we bless someone with health when they sneeze? Because it used to be in the good old days, olden times, people didn't get sick. Mm-hmm. How do we come to life? God blew into our nostrils the breath of life and we began to live. So how would we die? A person would sneeze and their soul would go out of their nostrils and they died. And therefore, when a person sneezes, since that used to be the way that people died, we wish them gesundheit, health, etc. Yaakov was the first one. He prayed to Hashem. He said, Hashem, please let me be sick before I die so I'll know my end is near. So I'll be able to prepare accordingly and to have a chance to give the last blessings and last you know, will and testament to my children, which we're going to read in this parsha before he dies. So Yaakov feels his end is coming. And he calls his son Yosef. Of all of his sons, the only one he knew would be able to, the only one who would be able to do what he wanted was Yosef. So he calls Yosef and he says, Yosef, do for me a chesed ve'emes. Do for me a kindness and a truth. Please do not bury me in the land of Egypt for a number of reasons. First of all, I know the land of Egypt will become infested with lice during the plague, and I don't want my body to suffer the plagues that will happen in the ground. Number two is I know that when when the resurrection of them will finally happen, and all those Jews that were died during the course of exile will come back to life, those that are in Israel, buried in Israel, We'll just cover it up. For those who are buried outside of Eretz Yisrael and diaspora, we'll have to go through underground tunnels until we'll reach Eretz Yisrael, but we'll then come out back to life. 
So I don't want my body to have to suffer the pain of going, of rolling in the underground tunnels till Israel. And third, I know that the Egyptians will make my my uh, my uh, burial place into a shrine. I was the one that brought merit to the land that the plague, the plague, the famine stopped because I came and I gave a blessing for the Nile River to rise. And therefore, I know that Pharaoh will want to make my place into a place of prayer, etc. I don't want the Egyptians who are idol worshippers to start turning my place of burial into a place of idol worship. Therefore, do for me a chesed ve'emes. That's the words of the Torah. A kindness and a truth. And bury me in Egypt. Sorry, bury me in Israel. From here, the Talmud tells us, I say this every single funeral, that when you are involved in the burial of a person who's no longer alive, this is considered the most truest form of chesed. A chesed shall emes. Why is it called chesed shall emes? In fact, there's an organization that helps with burial and all these kinds of things and, you know, getting proper kosher burial. It's called chesed shall emes. Why is it a kindness of truth? Because you're not expecting anything in return. When a person is alive, you do them a favor so that they can always do the favor back to you one day. But if they're not alive, they can't return the favor, even though they could pray for you in heaven. So whatever, we'll leave that a question on the side. So it's a do for me a chesed, a true kindness that you will not be repaid for and make sure I get a proper kosher burial in the land of Israel. Side note, this is a very important message right here. Anyone that doesn't have proper kosher, I'm not saying here when you're recording, that you see Yaakov made sure to have arrangements for his burial made before he passed away. So he don't like to deal with it. They rather push it off. When I die, whatever, my kid will figure it out. That's not what Yaakov did. Yaakov clearly was worried about his burial arrangements, about where he would be buried, who would bury him. We'll learn later, he gave very detailed instructions for the whole funeral processions, who should walk first, second, you know, the whole order, how they should carry his coffin. So Jews have always understood the importance of preparing for a proper kosher burial and making sure that our uh, the Jewish needs are met in the proper, healthy way. Of course, I can help with that if needed. Anyway, so he says to Yaakov, to Yosef, bury me with my forefathers in the land of Israel and Hebron. Vayomar, and Yosef says, I shall do exactly as you tell me. I will do what you say. But Yaakov is not satisfied with that. He says to Yosef, I want you to swear to me that you will bury me in Israel. And so then Yosef takes his hand and puts it on the thigh, on the bris milo of his father, which is the holiest thing that we have, as discussed with Eliezer and Avraham. And he makes an oath to his father to bury him in Israel. Why did he need an oath? Why did Yaakov not just trust his son and say, I'll do what you say, father? Normally people try and do their parents' dying requests, right? Why was he worried that Yosef wouldn't do it? First of all, he knew that power wouldn't want to let him go. So he had to give like Yosef extra... You know, strength to make sure he wouldn't be distracted or, or, or you know, uh, dissuaded by Pharaoh. Number two is he knew it might be new kings, and who knows if he able to have the same power. Just because Yosef is in charge now, and Yosef has authority now, who says that in how many years, you know, you never know what will happen. And third is he knew that even Yosef would not want them to take him out of Israel, out of Egypt. Yosef would want to keep the body of Yaakov near them. Jews always have gone to pray by the graves of our fathers. Holy Jews, our parents, grandparents. And so he knew that Yosef, even though he said, I want to do what you say, Father, deep down, Yosef knew the Jews would be in exile, the Jews would be in a morally and spiritually in a low place. Having the presence of Yaakov near them would be very uh, meaningful to them. Therefore, he makes him swear, and he swears, and then Yaakov bows down to the head of the bed, A, to give respect to Yosef for what he was doing for him, 
also to empower Yosef to really, even if his father's bowing down to him, that he has the strength to carry out what he had promised. And thirdly, because we're told the Shekhinah rests on the bed of a person who's passing, and therefore since he was passing, he bows down to the Shekhinah that was resting over his bed. Anyway, shortly after that, he's told to Yosef that your father's very, very ill. It's time to go uh, say your goodbyes. So he brings his two sons, Menashe and Ephraim, to come and be blessed by their father, by Yaakov. So he tells Yaakov, this time Menashe and Ephraim are 24 and 25 years old. Okay? They come to Yaakov, they say, your, father, your son Yosef is coming, and even though he was near the end of his life, he gathers his strength and he sits on the bed to see his son for the last time. And Yaakov says to Yosef, I want to tell you that Kel Shakai, Hashem, appeared to me in Luz at the southern border of Eretz Kenan, and he blessed me. This is not when he was going out to Egypt then. This is when he was coming into Egypt, coming into Israel from, sorry, not as in the northern border, by, from, uh, from, from, uh, from Haran, from his, from his father level, when he was coming back to Israel. And over there, Hashem blessed me. And what did he bless me? And he said to me, we learned this back then when, when God gave the blessing to Yaakov, who was coming back to the land of Israel from Lavan. God says to me that I will make you fruitful. I will make you into a nation, into a, into a goy ukahal amen, into a nation and a multitude of peoples. Who's a nation? The nation was Benjamin had not yet been born. We discussed then. 11 of the 12 tribes have been born. So who is the nation? The only one of the 12 tribes that have not been born in Yemen. But who is the multitude of nations? That meant to me that one of my sons would be divided into a multitude, into a multitude of nations. And so even though really that should go to Reuven, Reuven is the firstborn son, and therefore the double portion that his children should be counted not as one tribe, but as two tribes, should instead go to him, I am choosing instead to give that right of the firstborn to have that your son should be divided into two separate nations. I'm giving that right to you instead of to Reuven. And therefore, your two sons, Ephraim and Menashe, they will be like the 12 tribes, Kiruven, Veshimon, Yuli. They will be to me just like Reuven and Shimon. Meaning, just like Reuven and Shimon count each one as their own tribe with their own prince that led their tribe and their own flag and their own place to camp, etc. So to Ephraim and Menashe will be counted with their own tribe, with their own print, with their own flag. They will be each one of the 12 tribes. If <clears throat> you will have any other children after these two, they will not be their own tribe because they're only able, the, the firstborn is to double the portion. But these two sons that you've already given birth to in Egypt, Ephraim and Menashe, each will become their own tribes. So when we count the 12 tribes, we don't count Joseph as one of the 12 tribes. Instead, we count. Ephraim and Menashe each. And Levi <coughs> is often not counted as one of the 12 tribes because they were they camped separately, etc. They were on their own calculation, on their own uh, level. Okay. And then comes a very interesting verse. So Yaakov has just finished in verses 5 and 6, for 4, 5, and 6, telling his son that uh, I was promised by Hashem that a multitude of nations would still come out of me, and I'm giving that blessing to you that you're two sons of a multitude of nations. And then he says the following verse that seemingly doesn't make any sense in this context at all. What's the verse? When I was coming from Padan, which is the north, we're from Lavan, from Aram Narayim. 
Mesa alai Rachel, Rachel, my wife, your mother, passed away on me. Mesa alai. We'll get back to these two. She died on me in the land of Canaan, Baderech, on the journey. As we were still traveling, um, there was like a short stretch of land equal to one day's plowing, which is about 2,000 cubits, 2,000 amas. It's a little over a half a mile from the city of Ephrat. And even though we were close to the city of Ephrat, and we were only a short journey from Hebron, we were how far is from Ephrat to Hebron? I don't know exactly today. It's a semi car, I don't know, a half hour maybe. Then a two day journey, whatever, it was not a far journey. And we were outside of Ephrat by half a mile. We were not even from, but I buried your mother there, Bederech Ephrat, right there on the road to Ephrat. Not, I didn't forget, I didn't take it to Hebron. I didn't even take it to the city of Ephrat. Right there on the side of the road, I buried her, and that is what is today called Beit Lechem. That is where she was buried. That's it. And then verse number eight continues. Yisrael sees the sons of Yosef, and he says, who are these sons? And Yosef says to his father, these are my sons, that Hashem has given them to me. And he actually says, with this, he actually shows his father the Ksubu, that he married Asnas. Asnas is his granddaughter, to show there's a hundred percent Jewish children from a Jewish mother with a ksuba and everything. He says, Father, please take them and bless them. To mother, to ma- to, tomorrow we'll get to the blessings of, of Ephraim and Manasseh. But let's go back now to verse number seven. So smack in the middle of this dialogue about the sons of Yosef, you have this verse about the burial of Rachel. How does this fit in over here? So there's many beautiful explanations. Many beautiful explanations. First, is that Hashem, that Yaakov is telling, telling his uh, son Yaakov, why am I choosing to make you the one who will get the double portion? I could have given the, the blessing of a multitude of nations to Reuben. I could have given it to Levi, to Yehuda. I don't know. Why am I choosing you? Since you are going above and beyond to make sure that I have a proper kosher burial in the Holy Land of Israel, therefore, in return for your dedication to giving a proper burial, that's the reason why I'm giving you this blessing of your two children, each becoming their own tribe. I, I did not give the same honor, if you will, the same respect to your mother. Seemingly, I didn't give the same respect to your mother. Your mother died, and what did I do? I just buried her right there. I didn't travel with her to Hebron to bury her in the family plot together with our ancestors, together with Avram and Yitzchak and Sarah and Rivka and all that. I didn't do that. I didn't even take it to Ephrat, even though it was only a day's journey, half a day's journey, and the land, I should have said, the land was smooth. It wasn't even a bad season. It was the time of the harvest when the roads are dry. There was no storm. The road, the earth was like a hole, meaning it was a dry earth, easy to travel on. And yet I buried her there in Beit Lachem. Why did I do that? So there's many beautiful explanations. Beautiful, I'm saying good explanations. One is, I'll tell you Rashi's last. But uh, really, we'll talk about that tonight. But uh, I think uh, the Ramban explains that Mesa Alai Rachel, Rachel died on me, means when she died, everything came on me. I had all the children to take care of. She had just given birth. When she died, she was in childbirth. So she left with a brand new baby a day old. I don't know how to take care of a baby. And all the cattle, all the sheep. So when Rachel died, I wanted to take her to Hebron. I wanted to take her. But Mesa Alai Rachel, she died on me. I, I couldn't. I had too many obligations to raise this young baby. You know, 
person dies and the baby in the hospital, it's like you can't even focus on the funeral because you're dealing with saving the baby's life and there's too many other things that are that are competing in your head at the same time. So Rachel died on me and the on the right side of the journey to travel with all of the people and all the cattle and all of our kids and the, and the brand new baby is on board to travel the brand new baby. I couldn't do it and therefore I buried her on the side of the road. But don't hold it against me and you're still doing this kindness to me, therefore I'm rewarding you. Another explanation is that Mesa Alai Rachel is that I was too, Mesa Alai, she died on me, I was too distraught to make a proper burial for her. Sometimes the person is so overwhelmed with the emotions that they don't have the headspace to make any arrangements. Just, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't think. I couldn't go you know, traveling, about going, about making arrangements. I just found the open a hole in the dirt, buried her. I couldn't deal with the emotional grief of having lost. Rachel was 36 years old when she passed away. A young mother with a baby that she had just given birth to. The emotion was too intense. I couldn't deal with it. But Rashi has a whole different explanation. And I'll tell it to you now, even though it's going to be a main uh, topic of tonight's class, is Rashi gives a different explanation. Rashi says that I buried her there. You know, even though I know you hold it in your heart against me, I buried her there because Hashem had told me to. Why? Because Rachel is the ultimate Jewish mother and she had to be on the side of the road near the exit of Israel. So when the day would come and Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar would come and destroy the base of Migdash and take the Jewish people out of Israel in chains, in uh, iron uh, you know, uh, chains, and take them into slavery. As they would be leaving, they would pass by the grave of Rachel. Hebron is not on the way out of the land of Israel. But Rachel is right there by the road. And they'd be able to stop by the road and be able to cry to their mother, Rachel, to daven her. And when they would daven to Rachel, as we've seen in the first, on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, kol nishma. A voice is heard on high. And what's the voice heard on high? Rachel mevaka albaner. Rachel is crying for her children. And because of her tears, Hashem says, Rachel, your tears are not in vain. You will be the first one to be here to greet them when they return from, from the land of captivity, when they return back to Israel. And therefore, Yosef, don't hold it again. I buried her there. This is what your mother would have wanted. This is what Hashem told me. This is what your mother would have wanted to be there for her children at that time. Okay. Question. 